Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Thousands of man hours from the Chicago Police Department. People like us have been put into this. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna ask you point blank, do you know what happened to your kids? No. I'm gonna ask you again. This time I'm gonna say, do you know what if George Washington did something to your kids? If you know, you can tell us. We will protect you. At some point, when we, hopefully we come to a conclusion with this, we will be able to protect you. Like I told you before we went back on, I'm very, very proud I've never lost a witness. I'd rather lose a case than lose a witness. We will protect you. If I have to sleep at your house myself, I will protect you and I will make sure your children are protected. If you're that scared of George and you know something happened to them or you know if he did something or how he did it, you need to tell us. I don't know. Okay. Thank you for that. I had to say it. I would have told you. I am Pam Childs, and this is Disappeared, the Bradley Sisters. One of the things we're hoping to do with this project is to keep Tianda and Diamond's name in the public's ear. The investigation got a huge lead in 2012 because a woman saw a documentary about the girls on TV One. Two little sisters disappear from their apartment on a bright summer day at the same time. How do two innocent young girls vanish just like that? And why, a decade later, are these sisters still missing? I've traveled the country with my partners over the last year to get to the bottom of what happened to the Bradley sisters on July 6, 2001. We've gone to Minnesota to interview Shalia Bradley Smith, 
great aunt to Tianda and Diamond. We met with all of the key family members multiple times here in Chicago. Mom to the girls, Tracy, Bradley, their sisters, Rita and Victoria, and their beloved aunt, April. We managed to find witnesses that hadn't been interviewed in decades. Chandra Stewart, George Washington's girlfriend in 2001, and our key witness, who we have chosen not to name. I've said that time and time again, if we have one person come forward and say something, we can do the rest, and they can do it anonymously. The time of day that those kids went missing, that we think they went missing, that area is a busy area. Whoever took them, he or she, wasn't gonna carry them out. I'm fully confident they walked out of that apartment. Oh yeah. Somebody saw something that day. It's a decent sized complex, it's a busy area. And if we can get somebody to put us at point A, we can fill in B, C, D, and E. I think the biggest issue this case has faced is the inconsistencies in Tracy Bradley's statements. From her very first conversation with law enforcement, her story has shifted. Tracy told me a year ago a very clear story of being home July 5th with Tianda and Diamond. George Washington's cell phone records have him arriving at the home at 4.30 a.m. the morning of July 6th. And then Tracy goes to work at 6.30 a.m. and comes home a few hours later to find the girls missing. But this past May, for the first time, Tracy admitted to me that actually she wasn't home the entire night of the 5th to the morning of the 6th. She spent part of the night at George Washington's, which put everything we knew about what happened into a freefall. Because of the inconsistencies, Tracy has lived under a cloud of suspicion for the past 22 years. Couldn't go outside without somebody saying, they're gonna miss Bradley. She had something to do with them kids being missing. How do you feel when people say that? Who? <clears throat> I stopped. Wow. I had several people on the bus that has tucked up for me. Spoke up for you? Spoke up for me. OK, saying what? They go that lady right there, her kid's missing. She had something to do with it. They're in the back of the bus, I'm in the front, you know? I was going to not show my identity or have my identity. My identity is just me, you know? I can't change it. And uh, we was on that bus, and you talking about the gentlemen, the ladies, they had took up for me and spoken for me. You know how happy what I was, that I couldn't really say anything because it was harsher to me. It was sad. It had took a lot out of me, but when you have someone that's a couple of people on the bus that stands up for you, it brings your courage. It makes you feel safe. Yeah. yeah. And they even came and hugged me. Oh, wow. And shut them up. They, they shut them down. Okay. I'm glad. I got to the point that if I needed to go somewhere, I'd be in a car. But I had got out. I got to the point. I said, you know what? I have to get out. I started riding the bus. And I still ride the bus. 
no problem. Okay. Now I can stand up for myself. At the other time, I couldn't. I was weak. Okay. I wasn't strong enough. But now I'm strong and I'm wiser. Yes. Like Mr. Sapp said. Yeah. And I'm strong and I'm better. Yes. So I can face George Washington. Yeah. Best believe it. Okay. Based off of all of my conversations with Tracy Bradley, I think she loved George Washington as much as she feared him. I think she is very ashamed of her parental neglect, and I think she is defensive from years of scrutiny from the public, the police, and her family. She's exhausted from this, tired. Ed and I recently sat down with Jeff Ignowski, one of the original detectives who worked on this case. He's been an invaluable resource to Ed when he took over the case in 2012 and is a good resource for us today. Jeff, in your opinion, what happened? My theory was she went to work a regular day. There was no camping. There was none of that. It's all lies. But they went out wherever, to the park, to the school, wherever they did. And she was calling them, no answer, no answer. She's getting mad. Finally gets off work, goes home. Either they returned and she confronted them or they were still not there, but then they returned again. I think she she just wigged out and beat them to death. And then I, I, I got to believe the way George acted that he probably was the one that disposed of the bodies. That was, mm. my, that was my theory for 20 years. I don't necessarily agree with Tracy uh, with the participation part, but I do agree with the knowledge part. So that's my take on it. Yeah, well, my theory is, is that if he was telling them that he was taking, and, and Tracy says that she'd never been camping before. And so that led me to believe that maybe it was all George's idea. It was George's idea to separate her daughters. Tracy just let this man take over her whole life. And I think that she would have done anything to keep him in her life. So when we talked, you told me a story about when you had uh, Tracy Bradley. And how, do you remember how many days after the... Uh... It was close. It was probably on the third or fourth day, maybe. You know, we're talking like the eighth, ninth, tenth in that area. I think a lot of the interviews were being conducted at her apartment. Or, and, uh, you know, when the preliminary officers did the reports, I think the first day when all the detectives ran out. And then uh, it was a decision to bring her in. Uh, sit her down in one of the rooms and just talk to her. We're treating her strictly as a witness victim of a, of a missing. And then we just stepped on the pedal and we start to get into the nitty gritty and asking her more details that she would go into. And we kind of, I guess, want to say broke her down to the point where she was very upset. She started to um, get emotional. Tears started coming down. Paramedics came. I remember paramedic came and asked me, he goes, what's her name? I said, Tracy. And he yells to her, he's like, Tracy, are you okay? And she lifted her head up and like shook it, like, yeah. And then put her head back down. And he looked at me, he goes, she's fine. And we were just like, okay, take her away. They had to take her to the hospital. But after that day, that was it. We never got to talk to her again. 
without you know either a pastor with her or a lawyer with her. It was like a opportunity maybe missed where we had a confession coming and that's how I felt. That was my my impression. She was going to confess. Tiny never really wanted to say much. I always felt like Tracy told Tiny, so that's why she kind of kept mom. So interesting, Angie, yeah, because, you know, uh, during the time that uh, Tiny was going through her uh, on the deathbed, that uh, Shalia stepped in and uh, kept everybody from actually going to see Tiny. I was trying to get to see Tiny before she passed away. No, so I do believe Tiny has some information about what happened to the kids as well. I brought her in the area too. I remember her leaving her in her interview, which was a completely non-custodial, non-adversarial interview. We had her in a conference room. And I never saw, and I, I, I took it at the time as she was just an older woman in a police station, la di da di da But man, I never saw a woman so anxious to get the hell out of a police station that yeah. wasn't, wasn't under investigation or anything. I didn't push her one bit, you know, uh, just, in, in deference to her age and her station in life, I just didn't push her. Maybe that was a mistake I made by not pushing her at the time, because I agree. After listening to Jeff and to you, I, I, I think she knew something. I think Tracy told her. I really oh, do. Yeah. I, I agree. I honestly think so, too. Let me ask you, Jeff, if you had to redo this whole thing, uh, starting from the beginning. If I could have done this all <clears throat> we would have got Tracy in a room under the light and George under the light and pit them against each other. And um, I think we would have got ourselves. But there was so much like kid gloves at the time, you know, treat them as a victim, wait till the body show up. And I, I think that was what I would do different now. We would just, you know, I think they were all in, interviewed and even brought to rooms and, you know, half interrogated. But I think it would have been like, go with a charge, like say, Tracy, you're under arrest for neglect or abandonment, exactly. you know, yeah. scare the shit out of her. We're, you know, we're going to take your kids. The other two girls are going to go to DCFS. And I think that would have done wonders. I was, I think when yes. we were talking, yeah, I, I, one, agree. I think when my, she started crying that night, it was kind of like surprising to us at the time. And, and it was, it was so quick that she gave it up, sort of half at half ass gave it up that, or, you know, if, if she didn't pass out or, or any of that, I think we could have been like, we could have pushed her and gave it up. But we lost that opportunity, unfortunately. But that's how I would do it. I know now you have better, like we have better cell phone records and GPS, we could have tracked them down. You know, if, it, if this happened today, we would have solved this based on just phone records and, and GPS location and stuff. Yeah, um, I agree. It just was primitive back then. Have you ever had a chance to interview George Washington? I did not. But I remember, like, I remember going to his house. I remember a lot. Of, so I went and found that receipt from the Home Depot, and he had those five bags. I remember that vividly. And we go in the, in the basement, and it's wall to wall, from front to back, side to side, up to the ceiling of just garbage bags full of clothes and junk and you couldn't walk you had to step over the entire thing and we asked him what about the bags and he said that um he bagged up clothes he was cleaning out his mom's basement then he brought the bags to and i remember this that he brought them to five different spots in washington park and and washington park had a contract or the city had a contract with uh, waste management 
and they took the bags every day to the landfill in Indiana, which was after that daily's dump, they dropped like X amount of dirt, uh, inches of dirt. And then the next day we'd come by more garbage and X amount of dirt. So it was like three days. Everybody ran out there that third day digging around. I remember seeing video of detectives in their shirt and ties walking through the landfill cadaver dogs and stuff and they they just never no one ever wanted to pull a plug they should have said let's let's dig it let's get back holes out here and just dig and nobody thought they they um we had enough proof or you know to follow up on that lead uh, i was like that sucked because i think that would have i think we would have found them if we started digging i went and talked to his boss because he said he bought all the he bought the hefty duty bags, a box of 30, five were missing. He bought those neoprene gloves that go all the way up to like middle of your forearm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, used for like caustic substances. You know, you would use it if you were working with bleach or whatever, acids. And then he bought a pair of um, gloves. They're like cotton on the one on the backside, but on the front side, they had all the little bubbles, you know, great for like gardening or, or, um, or uh, holding a shovel or something that so you wouldn't slip. Um, he said he bought it for work. So we go over there, and his boss is like, "Yeah, he could he could buy that for for our job for his work." But he, there's like, boss is like, "There's no need. We have that stuff. He, he needs it. He could just go and get it from our, our from here. He doesn't need to buy it." So we always thought that was odd, you know, like, why is he buying stuff for work when he's not doesn't need to? My sense is that Tracy believes he had something to do with the girl's disappearance, and she made peace with it a very long time ago. Feel free anytime you need to call if you have something you want me to remember. Don't hesitate. We'll do, Jack. Definitely. Always, you know, and and it was always the case, and you know, Pam, we we wanted to solve, and never did. And it's like it's that one you that one big case you never solved. You know, you're like, damn it. But, uh, I know, you know, and it eats at you because we're talking about babies here. It's yeah, if you asked me what I ate for breakfast yesterday, I wouldn't be able to tell you, but I can tell you a lot from 22 years ago with that case. Pam, we know we don't solve every case, but this one was important. We want it solved. We still do. Jeff, along with many other detectives, has his own opinions on what may have happened to Diamond and Tianda. In my opinion, George Washington is the main person of interest. My sense is that Tracy believes he had something to do with the girl's disappearance and she made peace with it a very long time ago. We have to remain focused on the end game. The goal is to identify when exactly the girls could have disappeared. Ed and I get together one more time to discuss our plan to get this case moving with CPD. And we're zeroing in on when our unnamed witness could have seen George, and we believe it to be the night of July 7th, the day after the girls went missing. So now, the missed calls from Chandra. Right. How many missed calls There's 13. Was Okay. There's 13 between 1828 and 1859 hours. Although it says 
He's at 89th and Greenwood at that point, at that time. Okay. Chandra, I do recall Chandra stating that if she called him that many times, he probably was supposed to pick her up and take her someplace, and he stood her up and was a no-show. So the way it looks to me is that he's pinging at 99th and Halstead, which has got to be he's at home. Right, right. He goes to the Home Depot, which is three minutes away, comes back home, uses those garbage bags to dispose of whatever he's disposing of, fills them up. And that's pretty much where he stays the rest of the night until at 2157 hours, he calls Tracy's cell and he's near Washington Park, 165th Street. At almost 10 o'clock at night, and this is the last I have of George's phone records, he is over near 65th and Cottage Grove at the east end of Washington Park. And that's almost and 10 that o'clock that night. And that would be Washington Park. That's, yeah, yes. That's the east end of Washington Park. Now, the other thing that I want to throw in here is that he would probably know Washington Park pretty well. He had to drive past that area every day from his job or from Tracy's house. When he was in Area 1 back in 2001, he did take the detectives over there because when they found the garbage bags, they said, well, why do you need that? And he said his neighbors were complaining about all the garbage he had from all the rehab he was doing. So he would drive them and just dump them there. Now, why he picked Washington Park is beyond me because there's about probably 10 or 15 other parks between there and his home out on the south side. So, and maybe that was just a habit he got into. I don't know. Well, you know, Washington Park has that huge field house. Yes. They have all those garbage dumpsters right there. Right. And it's garbage dumpsters or cans everywhere where people can dump some stuff. Right. It's a big place. And I do recall him going taking the police right. to that park, right. but they could uncover nothing. The well, garbage pickup had already happened. I think they picked the garbage up every day there. It's either every day or every other day. It's not a, okay. it's not a city service. It's a, it's a private service that the park district was using back then. The garbage was taken on a daily basis out to a landfill in Indiana. And there's no barriers. There's nothing stopping you from going in or out of the park. In 2012, the woman that came forward said that George Washington ended up in Gary, Indiana, the week the girls went missing. Well, I don't know how he would get to Gary from 65th and Cottage Grove, but it's probably not that hard. He could jump over to the highway, but would he take a chance? Well, at that time of night, maybe. He knew that area well, really, really well, because he had relatives that lived off of that back road okay. that takes you into Indiana. I this agree. lady told you what she sent to the Bradley family, and that was in 2011 when she sent that message. Right. Is that that's accurate, yes. right? There's a chance that there's, there's a good chance that that's the truth. And that's credible. Yes, there's a now, good chance that that's the truth. I think in order to go forward with her version of events, she would have to be brought back up here 
and she would have to be interviewed again by an active member of the department, I imagine, and an assistant state's attorney, I'm sure, would want to be there, too. She's telling a pretty incredible story here. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. We're finally at a stage where we feel comfortable bringing in our heavy hitters to help us move our case forward. Darren O'Brien was formerly in the Cook County State's Attorney's Office, and Eddie Johnson, former superintendent of the Chicago Police Department, the two agencies that we need to get to cooperate. Myself, Joe Strzok, and Investigator Foster sat down with Darren and Eddie to give them a rundown of our case. Darren, you're well-versed on the missing case of Tiana and Diamond Bradley. Yes, I am. And Superintendent, of course you are familiar as well. I've always maintained that I think these little girls deserve justice. Basically, what we have done up to this point is we have been traveled far and wide. We've come across witnesses that we thought were pertinent to this investigation as far as getting some answers and possibly finding the person that we suspect that might be the the kidnapper or killer or whatever he's gonna turn out to be. We have filled Darren O'Brien and Superintendent Johnson in on our latest witness, someone we have decided not to name to protect their identity. 
So, you know, as good detectives, everybody wants to keep an open mind into all these possible suspects, which also makes obviously investigation more difficult until you have like some type of witness to say, focus your investigation on this person, which seems to be what we have now, which this investigation hasn't had in 23 years, is an actual focus, a person of interest to focus on. Right now, this investigation is better than it's ever been. You know, now, is it enough? Well, that's, that's you know, we'll have to find out. So, Darren, from what we've informed you of, how we can proceed with CPD and with the state's attorney's office to get them on our side, to listen to our story. Well, I've talked to the state's attorney's office, some of the big wigs over there, and their position is that as long as CPD has an open case, even if it's just a name only, as it seems to be, they're not going to step on CPD's toes. So I think we need to do something that makes them want to step, not care about stepping on their toes. And maybe this last interview you had is probably the in at the state's attorney's office, if anything is gonna be. Well, basically, so what I was thinking was that if we get enough for a warrant, you know, an arrest warrant, at that point, and CPD would have to become involved. We'd have to get the evidence for the arrest warrant, then involve CPD, then go to the state attorney's office for the arrest warrant. Once CPD presents the request for the warrant, I would talk to one of their bosses over there and make sure they're on board with that or if there's something else they want. The conversations I've had, it wasn't like they're chomping at the bit ready to go here. They basically said, don't call us, we'll call you type of thing and let CPD do it. But CPD's not doing it as far as what you guys have told me. So we're in a catch-22. State's attorney's office won't help till CPD does it. CPD isn't gonna do it until there's, you know, who knows? You guys would know better than me. Superintendent Johnson, what do you think? Yeah, I think that Darren is right. Here's the thing. It's a sensitive subject, high profile from day one. I think that everybody in CPD still feels like these two little girls should get justice somehow. I do think that based on the information that you all have now, if I was still sitting in that chair, I would give a go ahead with this because nothing beats a failure but a try. And if we have any chance of resolving this case, because like I said, the little girls deserve justice. I think that everybody involved should be willing to do that. Now I will say this in terms of CPD, we know that they have tons of cases. We know that. Over time, memories fade. It's more difficult to catch up with witnesses. A whole lot of things happen over time. But once you get what you guys are describing now, in my opinion, I think that CPD would be willing to step in, especially uh, I know the new superintendent. One of the best things we have going for us is the new superintendent of the Chicago Police Department just promoted this month. This has been a blockade for us since we restarted our investigation. The CPD had shut us out. Larry Snelling, I think he would be more than happy. I can't speak for him, of course, but I just know his character. But I think with what you all have now, this is the most we've had in years. And why these witnesses took so long to come forward, that's between them and their God, you know. This really makes me hopeful, just listening to the evidence that you all have gotten to this point, and more importantly, the witnesses, because that's what we need.
as we all know, what you suspect and what you can prove aren't always the same thing. So now you've got something that's admissible evidence in court, I'd be all over it. In most cases in cold case are cold for a reason. Yeah. They're cold because people have not cooperated, they're still not cooperating, witnesses have died, uh, for various, you know, myriad of reasons, but, you know, cold cases are cold for a reason. I mean, let's face it, the investigation for CPD is only as good as the witnesses that they can produce. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Just like any investigation. Right. Right. right, exactly. Okay, so let me ask you something, Superintendent. How busy is Snellen right now? Oh, phew. <laughs> These first few months, he's, he's going to be inundated, you know. So but, he don't have time for me. Well, I, wow, this is a big thing. This is a big this case. This might be the time. Yeah, this is a big case. So I do think knowing him like I know him and listening to what you all have uncovered to this point, I do think he would give you a little time little ear time. I think that he would probably give the go ahead to let's see what we can do with this. Because I think everybody, especially the people inside the CPD, the brass and the detective, I think everybody wants to put this to bed, you know, get some resolution. It would be wonderful. Yeah, I, I do. And, 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 and it would make thing. him look like the, a king. Yeah, even yeah. for PR purposes. Yeah. And there's no in shame in, in how this has gone to this point. Well, the reason this investigation dragged on 23 years is not because the police did anything wrong. There was little to no cooperation with this investigation, which is totally surprising considering we're talking about two babies. Right. But as it stands out, for whatever reason you want to say, fear for DCFS, fear of this, there was little cooperation in this whole thing from the beginning. Right. Which is why it went cold and which is why we're still talking about it 23 years later. So to Pam's point, I do think that now is a good time to revisit it with CPD. I really do, because look, it's a feather in everybody's cap at this point, if it can come to some kind of successful resolution. What's so crazy, everybody we interview that has a relationship with George Washington always continue to say that he is a very smart fucking man. Oh, I can believe that. Right, and people that think he did it (laughs) think he's smart enough to outsmart the whole police department, basically. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had hundreds of people working on this. I mean, there were so many people working on this case. It, yeah, was, it, was. it was crazy. I mean, everybody worked on it, basically. Yeah. That wasn't going on some kind of fresh murder or fresh scene, but everybody else, what can we do? What can we do? So you and I had a conversation with Snellen on Friday. Mm-hmm. And he was open to talking to us or talking to me about this. And I know that this is a rough time. It is. It's a rough time. These next few months are going to be rough for him. He's going to be pulled in thousands of different directions. However, fundamentally, he's still a cop. And he's a cop that wants to do the right thing. Exactly. Yeah. So I think 30 minutes of listening to what you guys have uncovered, I think will do the trick. I really do. I don't understand why either the state's attorney or CPD would be reluctant to. No, I don't need that. There's, there's no downside to no. stop finding the killer or kidnapper of right. the two little girls. That's right. And so wh- why wouldn't they? That's, but, that's uh, exactly right. And as far as we're concerned, CPD can have all the credit. Plus, we were the police. Right. Right. The thing is, I understand, if you're a police detective, you're a detective, and don't take this the wrong way. Uh-huh. But you don't want James Gardner coming in here and solving your crime for you or some private investigator when you had 200 detectives working on it who couldn't solve it. So you don't want to look bad. However, we were the police. I was in homicide for 12 years. I was in special victim unit for 10 years. And Pam worked as a detective for 20 years. 
I mean, we were the police. So it's not like some Barney Fife guys coming in here and solving this crime when CPD couldn't. But at this point in time, I think that, I mean, you have to want to do the right thing here at some point. Yeah. Well, you, you know, should. For you the should. girls, for the family, for society, mm-hmm. you have to do the right thing. And I think it seems like now is the time. So maybe this unclogs that and now all the pieces will fall in place especially when looking at the evidence that you guys have uncovered and have solidified. It's great, especially to get the corroboration. I think that's close to arrest warrant status. It does seem like the right time. I spoke with Rita and Victoria one more time. What's your truest feelings? It's like the same as hers. Honestly, I just want to know the truth, good or bad. What do you think the truth truth is? Man, I'm crying. All right. Can I get some tissue? <laughs> I think it's worse. So you really don't want to think the worst about a situation? Oh, okay, because I look at how, what's her name, went missing for like 18 years and they found her. I still be thinking, it's a possibility, but I have my days. Well, I feel like they're gone. You need another one. Straight. Yeah. Because they would have been family. It just don't work like that. Like, it's been 20 years. Come on. It just don't work like that. If they was alive, someone would have came. Because Tiana was smart. My daughter, her yes. age. And I, that's what made me really look at life. Because I got my kids, they age. I got a three year old and a 10 year old. So now it's like, my daughter's smart. And Tiana was smart. Did you hear uh, any of the things that, and, and, and maybe you have not, of diff- what different people had to say about? the George Washington. Everybody's uh, saying the same thing say, everybody's yeah. saying. Yeah. Uh-huh. Everybody. Based on what we know, it's my opinion that George Washington is somehow responsible for the disappearance of Diamond and Tianda Bradley. I have had 22 years to think about this crime, and over the last year, it has consumed my every waking moment. I have also thought about the fact that George vowed that he would never pay Tracy child support. It has crossed my mind that George, by him vowing that he would never pay Tracy child support, killed Diamond, and Tianda saw it. Therefore, he had to kill Tianda as well. Is that a possibility? Absolutely it is. I'm trying to arrange a meeting with the new superintendent of the Chicago Police Department, Larry Snelling, who can get CPD to bring in our witnesses with the goal being a statement at the grand jury. I think it's possible that George Washington took those girls out of that apartment the morning of the 6th. If he did take them out, I don't think he took them by force. 
it would have looked natural and that he was walking out with the girls. Of course, he had been seen in that complex many times by many people with Tracy and her daughters. So nobody would be suspicious. I believe that he had enough time to get him to wherever it was that he killed him, which was, or could have been, his house. His phone pings near 99th and Halsted, near his house, and it's possible that at that point, he did what he had to do. My theory is that he then went back, he got Tracy home from work, she discovered the girls were missing, and he dropped her off. He didn't assist in the search because in my opinion, he knew that he had to get back to dispose of those bodies. And however he did that, in whatever manner, later that night, in the wee hours of the morning, he got rid of them. It's possible then he showed up at our witness's house. That's my opinion. This is what we're trying to prove. And of course, everyone is innocent until proven guilty, but it's what I believe. As of September, 2023, George Washington has not been arrested in conjunction with this case. Did I ever forget? No, not ever. Which led me to be having this weigh on me all these years and which brought me to the point where we are today. We've put our heads together. We didn't give up. We're not giving up. I mean, we're not quitting until it's done. And we've done some good stuff and we got some good leads and we have more now than has ever been presented before. And I think that that's phenomenal. Are we done? No, we're not done. We got some more things to do. Disappeared the Bradley Sisters is produced by Entertainment One, Gary Sherman Films, and Mainstay Entertainment for Investigation Discovery. The series is hosted and co-produced by me, Pam Childs, written and executive produced by Julie Sisson, executive produced by Gino McDermott, Benjamin Adams Trueheart, Gary Sherman, and Rob Lee. Additional writing and producing by Jason Crow. Associate producer Stephen Pipps, sound design, mix, and original music by Dean White. The executive producer for ID is Keila Woodard. You can follow our show wherever you get your podcast, and we'd love it if you could take a second to leave us a five star review on Apple Podcasts. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium.